back to Aerosmith's declining years, Permanent Vacation is an example of an Aerosmith album that people will run down because they started working with song doctors and they're trying to have hits. But that's what Aerosmith was always doing. This album is just Aerosmith doing what they've always done, which is whatever they think will get played on the radio. And they're really, at this point, cleaning it up. If you go listen to the new metal song these assholes made for the Charlie's Angels movie, it's called Angel's Eye, since I know you fuckers are lazy. Aerosmith, Angel's Eye. If you think these guys wouldn't go in the studio tomorrow with Bruno Mars to do a remake of Dude Looks Like a Lady. They would do it in a second. You're out of your mind. Of course. Does anyone not remember when Aerosmith performed Walk This Way with NSYNC and Britney Spears and whoever else for, I think, the Super Bowl halftime show? Of course. This band had a ride at Disney World for 15 years or something like that. No, they still do. The Aerosmith ride is still still there. It's still there? Yes. Fuck. Can you imagine working at Disney and they stick you on that ride? Can you imagine running the Aerosmith ride for five years? No. <laughs> Has anyone checked on Disney employees recently? Are they okay? It would be a, a tough job. No way, right? I remember reading that for the first year or two years or something, it only played one song over and over again. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising at all. It doesn't even matter what the song is. You would just have that jammed in your ears. That's how mainstream... Aerosmith is, though, people. Aerosmith is the best-selling American rock band ever. This is a fact. Aerosmith albums are in the music collections of most people who own rock music. That's a fact. Just because I was blown away by these numbers, I just pasted it into my notes. They have sold 150 million records worldwide, 70 million in the United States, 25 gold albums, 18 platinum albums, 12 multi-platinum albums. What the fuck is wrong with you people? They're the pre-Green Day. You got sold this thing that's supposed to be all damaged and fucked up, and that's why you like it. But it's honestly just default option A for rock music at the time. 40 billboard hit 100 hits. I can't tell you the last time I saw a jukebox that had real CDs in it. It didn't have at least one Aerosmith album or greatest hits on it. It's inescapable. All you got to do is watch the Gap commercial. We're going to get to that in a second. We really ought to start putting formal segments in this show. I had an idea for a good one the other day. I'm not sure what to call it yet. But pretty much every band we talk about has some little piece of trivia that everyone knows. Like, if people know more than five things about this band, they know this little piece of trivia. Sure. Like Tony Iommi losing his fingertips in an accident or how Sting does tantric sex. If you know five things about Black Sabbath or Sting, you know those things. But there's still always some guy who has to try to bring it up like it's interesting to to point it out, you know? (laughs) It's like a conversation piece for some reason. So one of the things with Aerosmith is Dude Looks Like a Lady, how it was written. Apparently, Aerosmith was hanging out in the same bar as Motley Crue, and a bunch of them thought Vince Neil was this really hot girl until he turned around, and they all realized it was a guy, and someone said, that dude looks like a lady, and then it was a big joke the rest of the day. Wow. Long story short, they start to write a song called that. It doesn't work out. They try to change the song to some other dumb title that I don't remember. They bring Desmond Child in, and he says, this song sucks, and they tell him what the original title was, and he says, let's write that song. Yeah. Dude looks like a lady. Uh... This isn't that interesting. Like, have you ever seen a picture of a young Vince Neil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one hot piece of ass, and it's only like 5% gay of me to say that. I don't even think it's that. It's just a good-looking dude. Just a good-looking dude. Especially back then. It was kind of unfair. I'm going to go hit on this show. Shit, it's a guy. And he's going to fuck everyone else in here. (laughs) That's right. And every girl in here wants to talk to him. 
damn it. But I think that if you didn't look in the liner notes, you would never know Aerosmith didn't write all their songs. Every song they've ever recorded that wasn't an obvious cover, sound it's just gibberish. I think it's a really pretentious, try-hard criticism of this terrible band to act like the reason they're terrible is because of professional songwriters who are great at their jobs. Yeah. It's basically, though... Uh Almost like a Gap commercial. Well, I was going to say, Stephen <laughs> Joe did this very epic Gap commercial in the 90s. It's just that easy. 90s Gap commercials, they found some magical formula for revealing how much all music sucks. They let Aerosmith do a commercial that I think is absolutely the way these guys write a song. It's basically a songwriting session caught on video. I think that that's right. But laughing, like, oh, ha, ha, we're funny. I'm not familiar enough with Aerosmith's catalog to know if what they played in that commercial ended up becoming an Aerosmith song, but it would not surprise me. Certainly not some of the licks that he was playing. So if you haven't already paused to go watch this commercial, which at some point you need to watch this commercial, what it is, is it's Steven Tyler sitting at a drum kit, which he often does when Aerosmith writes songs, Mm -hmm. and Joe Perry playing guitar. Steven Tyler also has a harmonica. Ooh, get the the blues sound in there. Because we're a blues band. Steven Tyler's sitting at a drum kit, playing like Meg White. Just dumb. Wailing nonsense syllables like, He's scatting. While Joe Perry dicks around with a slide. He's scatting over a slide guitar playing harmonica on a shitty kick drum. Yeah, and sometimes Steven Tyler uses all the extra hot air in his body to play a harmonica while he's drumming. I mean, his mouth is so big, he can probably play harmonica and sing at the same time. If he could control his lips, he could definitely figure it out. His mouth big enough to put the whole harmonica in there and still sing. He would have to like close his mouth That's halfway, but could, I think he could. If yeah. he could control his muscles and his lips, yeah. he could probably pull it off. They wrote an amazing, amazing song for Gap. Oh, and then at the very end of it... Just that easy. It's just that easy or something, which is another thing with Steven Tyler. Probably in half the interviews that he's given, he's jumped up and gone to an instrument and banged out some nonsense for the interviewer, much like the lyric writing earlier, as if it's the most genius shit that is going to happen in that room ever. There's probably other takes of that commercial laying around somewhere. I would love to see. Yes, (laughs) I know. That's the thing. That's what I would watch. Someone somewhere has got two hours of outtakes of them doing that shit. This commercial came out in 1997. Black Keys formed in 2001, I think. You did the math. That's who has it. That's what I'm saying. The I think Black the Black Keys. Keys has that footage. They would have been in their probably early 20s. Yeah, so starting their rock band. Or having dreams of starting a rock band. Maybe a two-piece. So we have new t-shirts, but I just realized, can we say how... How specifically can we describe the designs of our new shirts? Uh, we have shirts that roundaboutly might kind of make you think of a certain 90s grunge rock band uh, and or another famous rock band from the across the pond. It rhymes with the bowling bones. <laughs> the bowling bones. Yeah. Shmervana. <laughs> Shmervana. Come on down to yfbspod.com. Merch store. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a flag. Buy a pin. Buy a sticker. 
It would be great to see the numbers on how many times an Aerosmith music video has been played because after Permanent Vacation, MTV did about 80% of the work for these guys. Mm -hmm. MTV went all in on this band and they stayed all in on this band at least through the 90s. Seriously, shout out to the assholes at MTV for the last 30 years of this trash. I'm pretty sure they played Aerosmith videos every hour my entire childhood. You, if you grew up when Get a Grip was a thing. There was probably three years where you could not escape creepy Steven Tyler's daughter in a music video for Aerosmith with lyrics that are questionable on their own, <laughs> let alone with your daughter in the music video. MTV could not get enough of Aerosmith. Once Aerosmith started making music videos, MTV played them Every day, I think until MTV stopped playing music videos. I'm not, I wasn't really paying attention whenever MTV did stop playing videos. Yeah. I don't know approximately when that happened. I bet they went out on an Aerosmith video, man. Basically, Run DMC salvaged the band's career in the 80s with Walk This Way video being played ad nauseum and then really lunged the band back into the minds of teenagers again. Because at that point, they'd been a band for 25 years. Oh, yeah. 30 years almost. It's been a while since we talked about this. There are a lot of bands who owe their whole career to music videos and even more specifically video directors like Spike Jones, Michel Gondry. Sure. David Fincher directed Janie's Got a Gun and they gave him almost a half a million dollars to do it at the beginning of his career when he really had shit to prove, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he made a music video that would have gotten a ton of plays no matter what song. Anyone writes a song about this and makes this video, it's going to be all over MTV at the time. That's so sick. Half a million dollar budget for a music video. Yeah, for probably like two days of work. Yeah. Nowadays, I feel like a big budget video would be like $150,000. Unless you're like Taylor fucking Swift or something like that. But you'd be hard pressed to find a video budget that big. There are major label videos being made now for like 15 grand. Yes. Most music videos, even the quote unquote big ones are less than 20. It's a buyer's market out there, people. Yeah. I bet a lot of people listening to this would be shocked to learn how cheap it is to have a music career. Like if you're just related to someone who's rich, you can make almost all of this stuff happen. Yeah, well, especially nowadays. I don't know why record labels exist, but whatever. You definitely don't need one. It's not like you can trust any of them to curate based on good taste or anything. They're just a bank. The music video for the song Crazy starts out with a close-up of a Catholic schoolgirl straight up picking a wedgie out of her ass before walking into a bathroom at school. Mm -hmm. I got huge problems with this. First of all, that's obviously creepy and weird, but nobody's stopping in a hallway to pick a wedgie out of their ass two seconds before they walk into a bathroom. It's no, unrealistic. There's a 99% chance. It's Steven Tyler wrote this treatment. You think? Yes, he wrote that scene specifically. He may have actually directed it. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that maybe he was behind the camera during that time. Next time you see that girl, it's a close-up on her ass. She's got her skirt pulled up and her underwear's out because she's climbing out a window in that bathroom to ditch school. Mm. And of course, this schoolgirl ends up being clueless herself, Alicia Silverstone. Oh, Alicia Silverstone. Do you remember when everyone had to act interested that Alicia Silverstone got her acting career started in Aerosmith music videos? No. This was only in the two years between Clueless making it look like she had an acting career in 95 and Batman and Robin ending that career in 97. <laughs> pretty quick flash in the pan there. Maybe you have to be a pretty narrow window of age to remember this. Clueless was great. 
great movie. I don't care what anybody says if the movie is fucking great. It's got a high rewatch. It is quotient. fantastically rewatchable. I think that's what's great about it. She shits on Radiohead in the middle of the movie. What's not <laughs> to like? It's a good movie. But what makes it great is it, oh, you can just watch it over and over and over again. And Paul Rudd is in it. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be an old school Aerosmith fan in the 90s. It had to be so confusing. How do you transition out of 70s Aerosmith even into the early 80s Aerosmith? If it's a band that you really like, that's a pretty hefty jump to make. The 80s stuff was bad enough, but the 90s, like if you're a 70s Aerosmith fan and then you black out and you wake up in the 90s. You're like, fuck yeah, Aerosmith. What's Aerosmith doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that this is a moment where they, people that are huge Aerosmith fans don't actually talk about their love for Aerosmith. This is when they get quiet. They yes. get a thousand yard stare. Yes. Flashbacks of the first time they heard Jaded on the radio. They took that t-shirt. They just kind of tuck it away for another generation. The situation is you're a fan of a 70s rock band who tries to sound like every band on 70s rock radio. That band disappears for a while, comes back in the late 80s trying to sound like every band on 80s pop radio. Yeah. It's like they hit reset and come back as a different band in the second half of every decade. And they did it again in the second half of the 90s. Uh, Nine Lives and Just Push Play are their pre and post Y2K albums. These are the ones with Pink, uh, mm. Falling in Love is So Hard on the Knees, and Jaded. Those are some really rough songs. Aren't they though? They're rough on their own. They're really rough if you're an Aerosmith fan. This is just grasping, I think, at straws. And we're just going to put out top 40 pop rock. It's uncharted territory, man. We're talking about senior citizens maybe at this point these albums are very funny to listen to because you go back and the production it's going to make you remember all these bands you forgot about from the 90s i'm talking they had massive songs on the radio huge hit videos on mtv at the time but nobody ever talks about these bands anymore like len citizen king jimmy's chicken shack that are you jimmy ray song guy the who got the hooch song guy all of that bullshit aerosmith can't tell that that shit's not cool. They're too old to be able to tell that the shit they're ripping off isn't cool. It's just <laughs> dumb bullshit that's popular for two years right now, mm -hmm. and no one's ever going to talk about it again. Everyone's embarrassed about that time in our lives. Aerosmith are the Steve Buscemi meme walking up to the Definitely, kids. Yes. These are the albums that they're making at this time. Yes, what's up, fellow cool kids? If you want to talk about a band led by a drummer. Tommy Lee's Methods of Mayhem is better than everything I just mentioned. Perfect. Joe Perry doesn't even like Just Push Play, in case anyone wants to defend this bullshit. And this is the fundamental flaw with Aerosmith. You don't have to worry about being the cool thing if you're not always trying to be the cool thing. If you're just a band and you have an identity and you stick with it, this isn't going to be a problem for you. If you're genuinely a band with nothing to prove, which at this point in your career, you probably shouldn't have anything to prove arguably they didn't have anything to prove then why are you doing this chasing trends is a loser's game because you don't get to you can't sit back and look at 10 years of something and know what's going to still matter 10 years later you can't do it it changes so fast people are just so bad at quitting while they're ahead i don't know why these guys thought they had to worry about trying or anything because they apparently made a blood pact with mtv mtv still played these videos these songs were still hit songs yeah they're just terrible hit songs they're terrible but all music was bad at the time so no one could tell the song Pink is a great example of how an irredeemable song can be a hit if the machine decides ahead of time it's going to be a hit. This is a worse song than any song by Nickelback, any song by Justin Bieber. 
Pink by Aerosmith is worse than half of all Christmas music. And it's got a lot of plays. It's a very popular song. MTV played the shit out of the video because it used a new version of that face morph software from Michael Jackson's Black or White video, mm -hmm. which they also played a ton of times. Groundbreaking. And you got to keep in mind, this is about two years after Red Hot Chili Peppers had a top 40 hit with that nonsense aeroplane which MTV also played 20 times a day. Even though it was a terrible song, played the video. I just thought of a really funny thing that everyone should do ever. If you see somebody wearing a Aerosmith shirt or any band, let's fill in the blank. Think of the worst song that they ever wrote. We'll just use Pink as an example. You should walk up to that person and be like, dude, Aerosmith is so great. How about that fucking song, Pink? That shit is the best fucking rock song ever written. Am I right? And really drive it home that you think that this atrocious song that no doubt they're going to go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but what are they going to say? How can you? Are they going to sit there and say, oh, no, I don't like that? It could backfire, though, because what if they're wearing that shirt because that's their favorite song, too? <laughs> then you're fucked. But I don't <laughs> that's know. That's your new friend. Then you got to. <laughs> it could backfire right. hard. Next thing you know, you're making out with someone and weren't expecting oh. it. You guys are biffles. Uh, but OK, so <laughs> even better. If you have five songs, like you start with Pink and their reaction's like, oh shit. I mean, yeah, I guess that song's okay. Dude, what's your top five songs? <laughs> Do that. Exactly. I'll give you mine. The worst songs they ever wrote. I think that would be great. And everyone should do it. Did you know that? Yo, do me a favor real quick if you're listening to this podcast. Which you uh, are. What you're obviously listening to this podcast. Do you think they're listening to the podcast right now? They're still listening. <laughs> yeah, I... Yes, they're listening, yeah. We really need you to subscribe. Wherever you're listening, hit the subscribe button. Definitely make sure you're subscribed. We've got merch now. What, shirts and pins and stickers and stuff? Yeah, on the website. Go to our website, yfbspod.com. Just do it. Just do it. That would be a good slogan for Man, something. we should make a shirt. Okay. <laughs> Steven Tyler played a couple songs at the Bluebird Cafe when he was spending all that time here. Uh-huh. I, for people who don't live in Nashville or you don't know, the Bluebird Cafe is a songwriter's hangout. It's the songwriter it's hangout. It's the songwriter's hangout. Professional songwriters hang out there. If you're going to get up and play a song, it should probably be good. I don't know who, what made this happen. Steve and Tyler got up and sang Jaded, which is probably the worst song that's ever been played at the Bluebird Cafe. Yeah. You got your mama's style, but you're yesterday's child to me. So jaded. You think that's where it's at, but is that where it's supposed to be? You're getting it all over me. X-rated. That mostly sounds like he's talking to like his daughter, but then you're getting it all over me. X-rated, which sounds like maybe he's talking to his very young girlfriend or maybe forgot to take a certain pill today and he's confused about which one of them he's talking to. I don't know. So gross. It's very creepy, right? So creepy. Again, this is the same guy who cast his daughter as Alicia Silverstone's hot girl sex symbol friend. Woo! Awkward. Crazy video. Yeah. That reminds me, have we mentioned how big a fan of Aerosmith Donald Trump is? No. Donald Trump loves Aerosmith. Uh, I'm almost hesitant to bring this up because the last thing I want is for everyone who thinks it's ironically funny that he's the president to decide that it's ironically funny. That he, like, that he loves Aerosmith. No, to like Aerosmith. To like them, right. But yeah, Trump went to an Aerosmith concert in Jersey in 2014 and tweeted, doesn't get any better than that. Oh, God. Right after that, Steven Tyler was apparently Donald Trump's personal guest to the Republican debates. Fantastic. And like Trump, Steven Tyler doesn't have an edit button, which I know some people think is this great virtue, but it's really not, especially in any kind of a writer. I know people who think this don't read books, but there's a reason books are edited, you know? <laughs>
things often don't come out right the first time. Also, it's not a virtue to be filterless when the person is a pure piece of trash like Steven Tyler. This guy legally adopted his teenage girlfriend when he was almost 30. Yeah, there's some questionable stuff here. Good on YouTube. When Steven Tyler was a judge on American Idol, Jimmy Kimmel used to have a segment where he would show Steven Tyler being very creepy to young female contestants. When Steven Tyler didn't come back to American Idol, Jimmy Kimmel did that segment with a supercut. He showed all the times that Steven Tyler was creepy to a young gal. Every week, sometimes twice a week, we'd highlight Steven's uncontrollable libido in a package we called the Steven Tyler Creepy Leer of the Night. And now that Steven is officially gone, we thought it a good time to say goodbye, to wipe his leers away one last time. Hi, what's your name? Holly. And how old are you? I'm 17. No, dude. <laughs> You're so cute and precious. Thank you. <laughs> that one in particular is the best. How old are you, Emma? I'm 15. Nice. Nice. What? Why does he say nice? He like licks his chops. He says nice in such a creepy way. J-Lo's seated right next to him, and she says nice immediately after him, but with this look on her face like the producers told her to try normalizing it whenever Steven tosses a creepy nice toward a young girl. How old are you, Emma? I'm 15. Nice. nice. I'm 15. Nice. nice. I'm 15. Nice. nice. So gross. There are so many where it's just showing him wordlessly making a face, and anyone with a shred of decency can tell what he's thinking about. It makes you want to vomit. It's, it's so it's so uncomfortable. Gross. It is. I think this guy should be in prison. Again, I think Steven Tyler has a lot in common with Donald Trump. Not in the way that we call Gene Simmons the Trump of rock, but Steven Tyler and Donald Trump have very similar personalities, I think, probably. Very high on the narcissism scale. There's this 1994 interview Steven Tyler did with Rolling Stone that reads like a conversation with Trump. Steven Tyler speaks almost entirely in non sequiturs. They're talking about how old he is. This is in 94, and they're already talking about how old Steven Tyler is and how long he can possibly keep doing it. David Frick, I don't know if it's Fricky, sorry. Freak. Asked him, quote, with this big recording deal Aerosmith signed with Sony, you're committed to this well into your sunset years, and it's not about feeling, it's contractual, end quote. So he's saying, like, you just signed a contract that means you have to do this even if you don't want to do it because you got so old that you don't want to do it anymore. Are you sure? So here's Steven's rambling answer. Let's just make a for instance. Say I can't move as much as I did before. Would I still go out? Well, it's also about my throat. And it's not about giving up. Oh, I think I'll produce other bands. Bullshit. As long as I can, I will. Just as a dog would lick its balls. I could tell you one thing. I wouldn't care how she does it or what she looks or smells like, but I would cut this interview off right now if Janis Joplin were playing across the street. I'd be right there. End quote. It's awesome. Brilliant. I've never met someone who has their brains this scrambled. I love it. The whole interview is nuts. It's like the Tom Cruise character from Magnolia, but crazier and way dumber. Drastically reduced dictionary in their brain. Don't Want to Miss a Thing was written by Diane Warren, who also wrote Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, which is a certified banger. It's possible Don't Want to Miss a Thing would have been a killer Celine Dion song or some shit like that. Someone at Aerosmith's record label gave them this song, even though it was supposed to be recorded by one of their other artists, presumably some torch song diva like Celine Dion. Imagine if this was supposed to go to Celine Dion, though. Go back and listen to this song and think about how pissed off Celine Dion is that she didn't get this song. Because this was a fucking huge hit. I think it's Aerosmith's only number one hit. So if Aerosmith had a number one song with this, 
just can you imagine what Celine Dion knows she could have done with it? Biggest song ever in the history of the universe. Check out the notes that Steven Tyler doesn't hit about three minutes and 57 seconds into this thing. It's the part where he screams, cause when I dream of you! <laughs> and it doesn't even remotely sound good by anyone's definition of sounding good. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe anyone thinks we're supposed to take this guy seriously as a vocalist. Was Linkin Park a band when he did this? Because it sounds like he's auditioning for Linkin Park. 100% yes. Maybe that's why Kurt Cobain loved Aerosmith so much. Did you know that? No. Kurt Cobain would have been one of the, you gotta go back and listen to the old stuff guys. Uh, oh, well, yes. That's the entire thing that it makes that what it is. I would hope that Kurt Cobain and Taylor Swift could find a way to bridge generations of Aerosmith fan that they would have been friends because one time Taylor tweeted I feel like I'd be more understood if people knew I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith is how most of my emotions sound in my head oh that's the tweet so weird before we go have you ever seen the movie Armageddon of course I love that movie. All right, so this is not normally something I would talk about on the show. Before we get into this, I want to be clear. Everyone involved in what I'm about to bring up made a conscious adult decision to take part in making this commercial product released for public consumption, okay? I'm not going into anyone's personal lives. This is very much in bounds. Anyone who hasn't seen the movie Armageddon, I think you should see it. It's awesome. However, there is a part in this movie. <laughs> where Ben Affleck, who works on an oil rig and is not an astronaut, is about to leave to go to outer space to try and drill into a meteor, plant a nuclear bomb in that meteor, and blow it up before it hits Earth and kills us all. Saving Earth. But he's been dicking down Liv Tyler, and he wants to dick her down one more time right. before he goes out into outer space. Yeah. So he takes Liv Tyler, Steven Tyler's daughter, out into a field... To fuck her because you know how much chicks like to fucking field, but they're all about <laughs> I read it. That Seriously, in a book. if you yeah, never tried, I read that in a book. That's like a thing. Yeah, they don't show the fucking. The movie's good, but it's not that good. He's not planting any nuclear bombs. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> they do show the pregame though. They're laying down. This is the best yeah. part of the whole movie. They're dude. laying down in the grass. This is going where I know it's going. This is the part where he like has the uh, the animal crackers right, and he's doing like the animal yes, crackers on her. On her. <laughs> yeah, a, a walking them up. Yeah, her. he doesn't want to miss a thing. They're making out all sexy. He's touching her all sexy. He might even be licking her body. It's been a while since I've seen this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does kiss her navel. While, while, don't want to miss a thing is playing. Yeah. This girl's father is singing about how he wants to keep his eyes open to take it all in. Yeah, it's great. This has got to be one of the five <laughs> most insane moments in pop culture. Yeah, yeah. All human pop culture. Dude, now that I'm really thinking about this, this was so off the wall. I think that we entered an alternate dimension. I think we've been in an alternate reality since this happened. That's why Donald Trump is the president. <laughs> this scene in Armageddon put us in this timeline. Yeah, something so horrible and awkward. You had to accept it as being okay. Did you see this movie in the theater? Definitely. I was about 14 when this came out, so I knew precisely how horrific what I was seeing in this <laughs> film was. And I saw this in a crowded theater. Yeah. This was a very big movie. A lot of people, this is a movie of the year by on a lot of lists, I'm sure. Absolutely huge movie, yes. I saw this in a very crowded theater and it was all I could do to stay in my seat, man. I wanted to like jump up and scream about what was happening. <laughs> do you see this? Does anyone else see what's going do on? 
see what is happening right now? Do you hear that song? That is her father singing. It is absurd, man. She is about to fuck Ben Affleck with the animal cracker. All those people went on to vote for Donald Trump is what you're saying. I feel like I'm having an acid flashback just thinking about <laughs> it. So weird. Now all I'm going to do tonight, leg in bed, is remember that scene. Those stupid fucking animal crackers up and down her navel. No, I'm actually, now I want to go back and watch Armageddon as a whole. I'm going to watch Armageddon but soon. that yeah. scene will forever just be burned into my mind. I might watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing later? Watching Armageddon? It's a long movie. That's the only thing that sucks. I feel like it's like two and a half well, hours. I'll tell you what would suck about it is having to hear Aerosmith again this soon after thinking about Aerosmith this much. I'm already done. You know, there's an entire universe of people that on YouTube like splice other songs in. I wonder if you could splice a different song into that scene and have a much more, you know, natural feel to it. Girls, girls, girls. Girls, girls. Love Gun, maybe? Love Gun is love way better. Love Gun. Definitely Love Gun. The ultimate possible song. <laughs> well, all of you beautiful, wonderful Boston people. Yeah, sorry, Boston. Or you're welcome, whichever one it is. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I'm sure we're going to get some really nice letters from the people from the great state of Massachusetts. Type it with an accent if you're going to send it. Yeah, if you don't actually type it with an accent, I'm not going to actually believe yeah. that you're from there. If your favorite band is Aerosmith. Your favorite band sucks. You are welcome for listening to Your Favorite Band Sucks. And thank you for joining us on this historic occasion our very first three-part episode. I'm not exaggerating even a little bit when I say this recording session was three hours long. If you listen closely, you can hear how shot my voice is by the end from all the screaming. So you're super fucking welcome for us taking the time to edit it down to just the good parts instead of dropping a three-hour slab on your heads. If you feel like returning the favor, please share all three Aerosmith episodes with everyone you can and or buy some of our sweet, sweet merchandise. Don't forget, Patreon supporters do get a discount on merch, so make sure to check that out first. Oh, and if you think fascism is cool, neither Mark nor I want to learn how to speak Russian.